Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our KT Impact at 2.30 service this afternoon. Last week, we started a journey in a new series called Living in Joyful Service to God. And we spoke on authentic faith is always tested, exploring James chapter 1, the first 11 verses. And so we're going to continue this afternoon with God has promised. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to James 1. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 18. James 1, verses 12 through 18. I'm reading the ESV version. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And what we see here as we read these verses is a three-pronged focus and attack by James for us as believers to consider and reflect on. Number one, trials lead to kingdom rewards and blessings. Verse 12 makes that very, very clear to us, and I tiptoed into that a little bit towards the end of my message last week. Make no mistake, the trials we face have a way of bringing kingdom rewards and blessings to them, and we cannot lose sight of that during the trial. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. That was quoted by an American theological author, Joseph Bailey. And it seems for us that we only seem to forget God's promises in the dark. It is effortlessly simple for us to remember every promise over our life in the light when we are basking in his delightful provision, in his abundance, in his favor, in his protection. The psalmist tells us very clearly in Psalm 119, verse 30, the unfolding of your words give light. And yet we find panic, fear, anxiety, deep distress quickly emerges from our hearts when the trials arrive, irrespective of the magnitude, the purpose, or the frequency. We find that our confidence and our trust crumbles as we recoil into frail, fearful, trembling shadows of who God created us to be. Why? It's quite simple. We forget the promises of God. Just by way of a small confession, I've just finished my theology degree. And if I had a pound 
for the number of times where I saw a good quote in a book and I would say to myself, I'm going to write that down and reference it in my dissertation. And then I would have to go back and find the page, find the quote, find the reference. Why? We forget, don't we? We forget things in our lives time and again. Perhaps you're the same with your shopping lists, the errands that you need to run in life. You find ways of forgetting. I want to suggest to you, demonstrate repetition in reading and declaring God's promises over your life. That type of repetition is a vital lifeline for us as believers when we find ourselves forgetting God's promises. Go back and remember them. Revisit them each and every time you find yourself in a trial. His promises are as true for you today as a believer as they were when he first said it. They're a bit like checks. Anyone remember a check? Yeah? Piece of paper, usually your mother would write something on for your birthday or Christmas, right? Promises of God are a bit like checks. They've got to be cashed in order to receive their full value. I encourage you, do the same with the promises of God over your life. We just read Psalm 119, verse 30. Verse 105, the psalmist declares earlier, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We see very clearly here in James that he's continuing his thinking, his reflections on patience and steadfast endurance. It is an ongoing, never-ending act that we must subscribe to and implement in our walk with God. It is insufficient and probably even inconceivable to think that we only need to endure in steadfastness through the trial and then subsequently after the trial has gone, we no longer need to embrace it. It must become part of our character. It must become part of our heart attitude and therefore it will subsequently radiate from every single area of our lives. Why? Because God is highly invested in your life. God is seeking to understand your level of faithfulness to him. He deeply desires you to become this well-rounded, wholesome, holy, faithful believer, demonstrating steadfastness in every single trial, regardless of the type. That believer, i.e. the type that you and I are, in Jesus' name, will receive, future tense there, the crown. Now what's the crown? That's his divine approval over your life. Which means, friends, the trials that we find ourselves going through are not necessarily detrimental to our lives and they don't necessarily detract from God's purposes over our lives. Furthermore, these verses validate and affirm, actually, that every trial in our life has the capacity to produce healthy results in our lives, namely us being blessed and us gaining his divine approval through the crown of life. We should celebrate and rejoice in that today. Yes, I'm telling you, celebrate and rejoice in the fact that you're going through a trial. If you need evidence for it, Psalm 34 verse 19, the righteous endure many trials, plural, and tribulations, but God delivers them from each and every one, which means we need to embrace the capacity to see our trial through the lens of Christ and not through our natural, raw, fleeting emotions in the moment, which means that requires us to have an eternal and heavenly perspective here. If we need a concluding statement of fact on this, who better for, to provide that for us than the man that went through more trials and tribulations than possibly anyone save Jesus himself? Paul, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider, 
which means he's drawn to a conclusion here that the sufferings, plural, te plural term, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Embrace that this afternoon. Let that be your portion. Let your heart not be troubled. Recognize that trials have a way of producing kingdom-centered rewards and blessings over your life. That's verse 12. James now takes a slightly different approach in verses 13 through 15 because he uses the same words for trials as he does for temptations. And that's an important observation for us as it reminds us that as believers, any challenging situation in our lives, two things will emerge. The first is that your faith will be tested. The second is that our flesh will be tempted, probably in equal measure and probably in that order. At least that's what James seems to indicate for us here today. But let's be very, very clear. God will test your faith. We've seen that right the way through James 1 here. But God will never encourage us to commit sin. That is not part of his heart. That is not part of his desire for your life. Verse 13, let no one say that he is tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. Which means here, James gives us no outs. Nobody is exempt from this. There is no extenuating circumstances. There is no opportunity for us to escape and justify any sin in our lives. To place blame on someone else to uh, allow ourselves to have a desire to sin is us escaping personal responsibility for our own lives. And by the way, friends, that is not a new phenomenon. Quick test for us here on Sunday. Adam and Eve in the garden. Who did Adam blame? He blamed God, this woman that you gave me. Who did Eve blame? She blamed uh, the snake. Everyone is going around blaming each other. Nobody took personal responsibility for their own lives. Therefore, do not blame God when your flesh is tempted. That is solely the work of the enemy in your life. Nothing and no one else. We all possess a sinful nature. Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we don't need to allow ourselves to be enticed or encouraged to sin. And I find the word enticed interesting. Enticing someone, it's almost like luring them in. You know, I, I love dogs, and uh, I recently, a dog visited me in the office. It's my favorite dog. He has a name. <laughs> it's Pastor Colin's dog, actually, and Amanda, Simba. He is the best, and he came to see me, and the first thing he wanted was a biscuit, and he is enticed any time he saw my hands move because he thinks one of his friends, i.e. me, is going to give him a biscuit now. He's on a strict diet, so that can't happen. But we can allow ourselves to be enticed. We can find ourselves being distracted. We can find ourselves being lured by the temptations of the flesh. But let's be clear, when temptation and lust converge, there is devastating consequences, sin. Now that sin has the capacity to grow and mature and develop and subsequently produce something even worse that James describes, death. So let's clarify, there is no margin for error here. There is no possibility that we can say, oh, you know, that's poor interpretation from Brother Scott today. You know, I can go and commit sin. No, there's absolutely no way for us. The cost of sin is immeasurable. It is going to wear down your soul. It will kill your ability to be truly satisfied. Furthermore, sin is an illusion. Why? Because it gives you a completely false sense 
of hope. And so if you find yourself in a challenging situation today, I encourage you, do the following. Be alert, be vigilant to the temptations that are existing in your life. Do not deny them. Find an accountability partner, someone who is conscious of your temptations, someone who is conscious of your weaknesses, doesn't take advantage of them, but stands in the gap with you as a brother or sister in those moments. James is very clear, the temptations will come, and the temptations for us as believers are twofold. Either we blame God for the temptation, or we find ourselves yielding to the sin in a futile attempt to find satisfaction for our suffering not our portion. I believe very clearly that transformation in our lives at this point will genuinely start when there's transformation in our mind because how we think and what we think directly impacts and influences the way that we choose to live our lives. The will of God will never take you to a place or through a situation where the grace of God is not available to you and where God is unable to protect you himself. But now James changes tack in verses 16 through 18. Be thankful that God uses the trials and the challenges for his good. Verse 17 in particular, for every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Simply put, the challenges, the trials, the challenges that we find ourselves in today are filled with the opportunity for the enemy to deceive us, as demonstrated by verse 16. Blaming God and falling into the sin are two examples that I've listed. We need to remember that our God is a gracious heavenly Father who loves us, and not only loves us, but desires to give us good gifts. And he will make all things work together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his nature. Why? Because God's nature, God's heart, and God's work are consistent. They never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If there's one thing that we can be confident, friends, is of his faithfulness here today. That's why we can find ourselves giving thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Or rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, verse 4. And if we need any further evidence, John 3, 27. John said and answered to them, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. These commandments, these words, these verses are not empty rhetoric. They're not, you know, enjoyable words for us to embrace this afternoon. These are signposts to guide us on our journey to what is already our God-appointed portion in Christ. God himself, nobody else, God himself will bless us with good gifts. Now that is a very stark contrast to the temptations and the opportunities to commit sin. We cannot lose sight of that this afternoon. The importance and the impact of this is evidenced in the heart of James' appeal, which means we need to capture and understand the heart of God towards us. He desires the best for you. Don't believe the enemy. Don't believe what the person next to you even says about God. Believe what God's word says about you. God has promised. God has never failed you. The Bible says in Numbers 23 verse 19, God is what? Not like man that he should lie. When God sends his word out, it will always fulfill what it was called to do. God is the source of everything that is good in your life. Perhaps you're here this afternoon and you're thinking, well, Scott, you know, there's not many things that are good 
in my life. I guarantee you, if I was to call you and start to have a conversation around your family, your finances, your job, your health, your friends, your different situations that you find yourself in, and we started writing stuff down in your life that was good, that list would look like a shopping list. Why? Because God is good. Everything that is good belongs to God. That includes our renewed mind. That includes our cleansed heart. That's our new life in Christ. And recognize this, we can't do it through our own feeble human effort, but we do it through the will and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, our desire to become holy and pure is an outworking of a heart that is fully surrendered to God himself. God's gifts are not just good, they're perfect. Why? Because God himself is perfect. They come from, quote, the Father of lights. Those are words used to describe the nature of God. Remind yourself this afternoon, irrespective of your trial, you belong to him. You will honor him. You will sacrifice and serve him all the days of your life. Why? Because there's a great harvest coming. Your trial is going to turn to a triumph. Your challenges are going to turn to testimonies because God makes all things work together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. We are God's people. God has called us and commanded us to reveal his love and his holiness. As a result of this, God works in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives so that people can see the life of holiness that we live before him. And so what have we learned briefly this afternoon? A few things. One, the trials will always produce blessings and rewards. Two, we must remain on guard against the temptation to sin recognizing that the temptations and the opportunities to sin are prevalent every day, everywhere, for everyone. Three, I encourage you, demonstrate thankfulness and recognize that God uses every trial for his glory. Friends, God has promised. God will deliver on every promise over your life. But you have to allow him to teach you what you need to know. That's a word for someone this afternoon. Don't let, his, don't let the challenges and the trials that you find yourself in steal from you God's promises over your life. God will never call you into a battle that he has not equipped you to win. Amen? That is the living, active word of God that I'm declaring. We belong to God because his word is truth in each and every area of our lives. 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Which means, friends, we should find pleasure and joy in being holy. It is not an inconvenience to obey God, but a privilege. And as we keep his commandments, we find that they are not a burden, but they are a blessing which means that we cannot live in opposition to God's will in our life. Why? Because God will never set you up to fail. You're never not going to get through your trials. You know that, right? You will succeed over every trial and over every challenge. God only sets you up to grow, and God will only take you into a conflict that he will cause you to win in. However, you will find that God does not want us to be distracted from his purposes, irrespective of the trial that we find ourselves in. So I encourage you, find passion today in being holy, because that passion will lead you to success in your destination. 
But if that passion dies, then your lamp of perception is definitely going to be removed from your life and you will start to allow the things of the world to corrupt and corrode your heart and your walk with God. Allow God and his word to be your passion, your light, and your leader in life because God has promised. The answer is ultimately God's perfect grace over your life. God's grace over your life is the answer to destroying the temptations, the sin. It is sufficient, it is unending, it can and it will sustain you through every season of your life. Because when you walk in his grace and in his love, you will gain a richer and a deeper and a much more profound sense of what wholly satisfies the longings of your heart. Simply put, God's grace is real. It is a blatant, comprehensive reality for your life. Why? Because you can now see the new identity of who you are in Christ. Never forget, God has promised. The life of Jesus demands that we examine him and we seek to imitate him in all that we do. Then, friends, our lives will change both radically and forever. Declare what the psalmist said in Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. You, Lord, are all I want. You are my choice, and you keep me safe. You make my life pleasant, and my future is bright. So friends, don't forget, God has promised. Don't lose sight of that in your trial. Stand on God's word. Flee from the temptation to sin. Be thankful in the promises of God over your life. Recognize that God uses everything working together for your good, and you will emerge victorious in the basking in the glory, in the pleasure and the joy afforded to you as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Praise God.